And what was really obvious to me was that there's strategy, but then you need the execution, right? Things have to happen or else it's kind of a fantasy. Truly understanding strategy, not just like the, the corporate buzzword types. And execution is incredibly powerful. Hello, everyone. I'm Glenn Yaney, your host of The Millionaire Journey. The goal of this podcast is to guide and empower you on your journey towards financial independence. Today, my guest is Ben Wan. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Glenn. I'm glad to be here. Happy, uh, happy to be on your show. Glad to have you on. We've had a little bit of a back and forth, but I'm glad we could meet up our schedules and I'm looking forward to having the, this, this chat with you. Absolutely. So if you could just tell us a little bit about your uh, background up to, to where you're at today, and we can talk about it after. Sure. So I'm a little bit of an odd bird in my career and my career trajectory. Um, so I spent 10 years in the corporate finance space, mostly in manufacturing. Really, if I had to describe it, helping to align people, processes, and systems, um, help give executives you know, information to make decisions off of. So I did that progressively over the last few years. My last role was director of FP&A and cost accounting. And over that time, I also earned just about every credential you can get in accounting uh, to add after my name. So I did the corporate sprint, made director in 10 years, and I eventually knew I wanted to do something else. You know, the higher I went up in the corporate chain and the more closed door meetings like you get to sit in, you think, wow, this isn't really all it's cracked up to be. So during this time of building my career, I built my first company, uh, Beagle Run Publishing, and that's about four years old now. And that's all about courses, books. We have the accountingprofessor.org website and a few others. And that was just going really well last year. And towards the end of the year, it was accelerating. I started adding team members while working my full-time job. And it got to a point where the full-time jobs turn, start turning a little bit sour. Um, what they promised wasn't what it turned out to be. And I had something kind of really fortunate happen. Someone reached out to me through my website said, hey, I'm a managing director at a private equity firm. I'm looking for someone who does what you do. Can you come work for us on this project? Absolutely. So I started to do that. I made the jump full blast into entrepreneurship. And then I started to get a few more requests from people looking to get my help. I thought, okay, let's go buy some capacity. So then that led me to uh, seeking out and buying an accounting firm that I closed on in June of this year, 2023. Awesome. And so what kind of accounting is that uh, accounting firm cover? Sure. So when you look at accounting firms, there's a wide gamut of operations. Some are just pure tax shops. Um, a lot of them are just, you know, a typical CPA firm of bookkeeping and taxes. And this one's a little bit different in that it wasn't structured as a CPA firm. And the previous owner was a lot like me. It's a lot more entrepreneurial focused. So he was able to really help people from the business aspect of what do these numbers mean, not just kind of here are your numbers. So we do everything from uh, bookkeeping, uh, bookkeeping, uh, advisory controller and CFO, uh, tax returns, tax planning, business valuation. And uh, yeah, that pretty much covers it right now. Yeah. So I did see, man, there's so many, I, I did a little bit of research on you and I, I guess we can talk about the books first. <laughs> uh, how many books do you have? <laughs> so funny story. So I did one book and that led to a bunch of others and led to also a bunch of experiments. So the number of currently published books versus written books, I think we have eight, seven or eight published. And we had written 15. So what triggers you to start a, writing a book? Yeah. So I was working, I think in 2019 in an organization and I got to be in a lot more of these higher level discussions and, you know, seeing how the organizations work and really get involved with strategy. 
And what was really obvious to me was that there's strategy, but then you need the execution, right? Things have to happen or else it's kind of a fantasy. And I, I noticed this was happening in this organization and a lot of others. So kind of my curiosity, I went to learn more. So I put all my other creative endeavors on pause for a full year. I researched everything about strategy, strategy execution, started drafting the book, hired a professional editor, professional illustrator, and got the thing done. I was very happy with it. To answer your question, it was curiosity and an eagerness to kind of explore and unwrap this puzzle and then share what I learned with other people. Yeah, because when I, so I found you on Twitter and then I I thought you had an interesting story. You're talking about uh, buying other CPA firms and stuff like that. I Mm -hmm. thought that was interesting. And then I started researching you and I I pulled it up in Amazon. And I'm like, is this the same person? I was like, he's got all these books. And uh, so I started looking at the titles and I'm just, I was like, man, he does a lot of research. (laughs) Yeah, I'm also a bit of an odd burden. I actually read all the books I buy, right? You see those bookcases yeah. and everyone kind of has it for decoration, but I've, I'm a prolific reader and it's always been a, a passion of mine. So being able to add some more knowledge of my own to the world, um, happy to do it. And that's, I, I kind of credit that book and that point in time with everything else I built and the two other companies and where I'm at today. Truly understanding strategy, not just like the, the corporate buzzword types and execution is incredibly powerful. So this has been a question I've been thinking about, and I was going to put it on Twitter, but I didn't think anybody would respond. But how, okay, so I buy books and I, I'll i get probably, I might read 10% of the books that I buy. How do you, I guess, drive yourself to be able to read those books? Like, how, how do you set time out to actually read all those books that you buy? That's a really good question. In the last few years, I got more into Audible and listening to some yeah. of the books. Yeah. But before... I guess before I was working in like director level type roles, I had more free time on nights and weekends and I would just make time for it. Just part of my routine. Uh, I think that's the best way to kind of build it into a habit. Yeah. That was the other thing. I was like, I wonder if it's when people say they read the books, is it audible or is it actually reading the books? Cause I, I literally will try to sit down and read Yeah, and I'll read like, there'll be one good time where I read like 20 to 50 pages and then I'll, I'll be like, man, this is a really good book. And then I'll, won't pick the book up for another like month, you know, just because of time, you know, just finding the time. But the, obviously Audible is the most efficient way because <laughs> you're always able to listen. Yeah. And I really like uh, Kindle, too, because then you can highlight pieces that you want to come back to and things that are memorable and export that later. So you have like your best of notes of each book. Um, yeah. Yeah. That way, too, you can read it anywhere, your phone, your computer, wherever you're at. So uh, I guess we could circle back to the uh, business that you have. What I was listening to your story is you actually were able to scale a business before leaving your own job, which actually was sounded awesome. Like it just sounds like the ideal situation. If you could like unravel that just a little bit, just like how did you get to I'm working at this job and I'm going to start outsourcing certain jobs to be able to grow a business over here? If you could just tell us how that worked. Really? The whole thing started with me learning and consuming a lot of this knowledge and then just seeing opportunities and things that were missing and things that, you know, other people want to know, but there's nothing out there. So I start with a course, uh, putting a course together in PowerPoint a couple of years ago and just nights and weekends. I stuck with it. Um, we designed the course a couple of times since then, but, you know, it's you got to make the, the commitment for it. Um, you got to carve out time in your day to make these things happen. Uh, and then for me, for my writing business, all the original articles were written by me. And I think 
what we do really works is it's because I built the process and I understand the process. I know what good looks like. And being able to have something that's repeatable if you bring other people in and you have the same level of quality is really important. And because kind of I built it first um, and I'm the master designer of it, you know, I have quality control as we scale. And then we started we started small. Um, I brought in two writers, then three, then four. And now I had what? I have six. And then I have a director of content on the one side of the business. So seven people there now. And those people are writing for your... Is it like a, a website, blog, or? Yeah. So we have several websites. We have cfoconsultants.net. Mm-hmm. That's the small business I bought, and we redesigned the whole website. We're building up that blog. Uh, but the main one's accountingprofessor.org now. And really, that one is all focused around cost accounting and manufacturing. Uh, but now it's been a little bit more broadly accounting. But our whole thing is we create really in-depth articles from the perspective of experts, right? If you go and Google a topic like standard cost, you'll see the top competitors are all saying the same textbook level stuff, just respitting it. So our whole thing was, let's add in the expertise and experience of a practitioner to this content to really help people find what they're looking for. And the audience just loved it and Google loved it. And then that kind of took us to where we're at, we're at now with that business. Yeah. So, the, so if you could, I guess, uh, explain to me what, what, did you call it a, a stand-in CFO? It's called different things: fractional, fractional controller. Fractional. Fractional. Okay, so how what is that? How does that work? Because just because, like, for our business, we'll just I'll just kind of give you an overview. We're a real estate business. We raise mm-hmm. money. We buy real estate. We have an office. <clears throat> There's a lot of accounting that is incurred. We we have a bookkeeper that is also she's an accountant and. She puts it together at the end of the year. We get the P&Ls every month. Yeah. So, and then I, I'm assuming like as an entrepreneur, what happens is I think you pretty much wear all the hats. So eventually mm-hmm. I would imagine there's certain hats. Like what I would imagine is like, there's a CEO, a CFO, a, like, you know, chief uh, CTO, whatever you want to create. And obviously the CFO is very important for finances and all the stuff that goes with it. What would us for that business and what you guys would offer? What is that cover? Sure. So I guess I'll back up a little bit first. So I've worked in all these big organizations, right? I've seen how they're able to succeed to succeed with the right level of expertise, technology, and know-how. And when you look at small businesses, there's a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots. So my thesis was let's bring all that down to the small business community. Because typically what I've seen with CPA and bookkeeping firms is that you get too little too late, right? You get your monthly financials two weeks after the close. You're not going to make a decision with that. So the fractional controller and fractional CFO, we are helping businesses to look forward and model out their businesses and do cash planning and KPIs and have them understand their business from the operational finance financial aspect so they, they can actually grow their business and get the help they need. Um, so we have two clients right now we're really in, involved with and we go to their weekly meetings and we're getting to know them and their team um, really as well as the owner does. So we're, we are getting involved in their business and identifying things. Um, you know, we're asking the right questions. We're suggesting ways that we can do things better. And we're giving them the vision of how we can take what you have and make it run better by just bringing in all the things they don't even know that they, that they can or should have. I know that, is there an example, like something that you would find that would make it like, that makes it more efficient? 
efficient in which aspect? I, from what you were saying, as in like something that you guys might see that somebody else would. I mean, as I know that we could do something better. Like I know yeah. for sure that I can do something better. I don't know what it is, but obviously being a that CFO position, what is a, a like something that you have seen in the past that's actually made it to where it's like, okay, this is something that's like a low hanging fruit, but it's very important, you know, type thing. I got two examples for you. So the first okay. is bookkeeping. So for our one client, we're taking on all their bookkeeping before they had people doing it who weren't trained accountants, they weren't trained bookkeepers. To be clear, mm -hmm. it, it's a mess. So they yes. kind of figured out the way to make it work, kind of. But now we're transitioning it, and I'm able to say, we don't want them to train us how it is being done. We want to step back and think, how could and should it be done? Yes. So we're able, we're going to cut their accounting costs in half monthly by being mm -hmm. able to understand what good looks like. And this is our business. We know how to do bookkeeping. Like, I don't do my own bookkeeping. My, my, my staff yelled at me because I made such a mess of it. Like, no business owner should be doing their own bookkeeping. No. So being able to bring in experts who can help right, identify what good looks like and set all the pieces in motion and make change happen uh, is, is part of what we do. So right, we're not just going to continue the status quo. And the second piece for one, the same client is we're helping them to build out a financial model. They didn't, when I, when I showed up, they didn't even know if they were um, profitable. They didn't know if they were going to have to shut down. So their grants are going to end next year. And they said, Ben, help us. Do we, what do we have to do? Shut down or can we, can we make it? So I did the analysis. I did, built the financial model and I showed them that they're on the trajectory to become profitable. And I broke it down into a number of orders, break even orders and break even customers. And like to see it in that, those terms, like, wow, that's very achievable. We can do that. And you can see that the trend going in the right direction. I said, okay, cool. Now we're going to start where you want to be, we're, we're going to cover your profit, we're going to cover your debt payments, and we're going to break that down into uh, monthly and weekly targets. We're going to break it down to KPIs so that we're going to achieve this thing. And we're going to know when we're off or on track. And that's that's what we do. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you can probably read about it, but to actually implement it, it just, it's a whole nother, uh, I guess, beast in itself. Uh, I did I'm just thinking years, about right? my own situation. I did this for 10 years. Like I have experience. Yeah. I've taken my lumps. I made the mistakes so you don't have to. We have, so we have a structure and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I, it's working, you know, but at the same time, I, I've had somebody else explain to me a certain way of doing it. And it's so hard to change. It's so mm -hmm. hard because you're like, well, why would we do that? That sounds like it's going to be torture. And uh, sometimes it's like you got to rip the Band-Aid off to be able to get to more efficiency and also cl uh, clarity when you're looking through people's finances. So Absolutely. In part, so of all my credentials, one of the most valuable ones is the PMP, the Professional Pro uh, Project Management. Mm -hmm. So I drive change, right? Everyone knows what they could do or they should do. Okay, let's get it done. Let's get this thing on the line. Kicking or screaming, I'm going to get it done. And people appreciate that. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Okay, so now you've started, you know, buying other CPA firms or mm -hmm. accounting firms. Correct. Uh, t tell us what that looks like. I've seen you on Twitter commenting on it, on values. It seems, you know, for me, it's, I think real estate is possibly the easiest to analyze. And then you get into business, which is becoming super popular mm -hmm. buying businesses. And I, it is also, in my opinion, it's the future with, uh, you know, the baby boomers uh, retiring and 
it's one of those things that these businesses are need to be purchased somehow. There, some of them can be monster businesses that uh, just need to be, and they've been managed. Uh, a lot of them, I'm sure, inefficiently. So you have to like poke holes through all that. But so I guess just tell us how you find those deals, and and then how you analyze and how you think they're good ones to buy to move forward with. Yeah. Let me start back a little bit again. So I bought this business. I got into it in June and my whole thing was getting my hands around it, seeing what we have again, getting things structured, getting things organized, people, processes, and systems. And what I realized was when I bought it, it was a previous owner. He had a tax person and three and a half bookkeepers. And he was doing about 600,000 in revenue, a little over 200,000 in net profit. But he was doing all the consulting, all the valuation, half the tax work, all the client interfacing, all the admin. It was unsustainable. So it was a real shaky stool. So I hired now to build out focused areas of expertise in our business. So it's not reliant on me. And so that we have capacity and we have the systems to scale and we are retooling and retraining and we're getting really good at what we're doing. So now I have capacity. We're ready to grow. Um, and that's where it makes sense to look at other businesses to bring into ours that are also for sale. So knowing what I know about this process, buying an accounting firm, I, I realize there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, like you said, there's a lot of baby boomers retiring and they have great firms, but the great firm refers mostly to like long-term clients. If you look, the profitability is terrible. Technology is terrible. Like there's so much that has to be reworked, but if you can get that gem and bring it into your business, that's where the opportunity is at. And right, I just bought a small accounting firm. I know no sane person is going to do what I did and, and step into this organization, have to work crazy hours, 3,000 hours a year to earn $100,000, really getting paid $40 an hour for all that stress and effort. So I know there's a lot more buyers or a lot more sellers than buyers, which creates the opportunity. And right, so we have capacity and I just did an acquisition and I put the story together, made sense to me. I started talking to people and they wanted to invest. It makes sense to them. And then we've been talking to different firms that are for sale. And then uh, by this Friday, I'll have two acquisitions locked down, uh, two more in North Carolina. It take us to about uh, $2 million in revenue. Once you get to that level, things are a lot more stable, a lot, yeah. ton of synergies, and a lot of things scale. Like I have one business valuation consultant. If I add two, three, four firms, I only need one. And there's yeah. a lot of things like that, software and overhead. and So it makes a lot of sense. And two, the way I'm building it is I do very little client billing. I'm not a key piece of the business. My whole thing is business development, growing it, making sure people have what they need. So my philosophy, my way of kind of doing this well and acquiring these firms and making that change happen, right? The project management piece. I guess we could talk about funding, like as in with you, I understand that you do raise some money to buy these deals, but how do you, do you go to the bank to get any of the lending or are they doing seller financing? How does that work? Yes. It's a combination of things. So seller financing, especially 100% seller financing is rare. It looks like one of the deals I'm going to do, the smaller one, is going to be seller finance, which is great. Because to do my first SBA loan, it took all six months. I've lost years of my life with the stress <laughs> of that process. I could talk for hours about how yeah. angry it made me. Like I was wake up and sweat. So I'd rather keep the bureaucracy to a minimum where possible. But some of these other deals, right, they're going to be a combination of SBA financing. Um, part of them is going to have part seller note, and part of that seller note will be adjustable on 
business performance. So if they sell you a bag of hot air, right, they're going to eat some of that. And then, of course, there's a capital injection, typically 10 or 20 percent. And that's where I use my own funds initially. I put about at least $100,000 into this business already. But now I'm getting mm -hmm. investor capital to fund the next stage of growth. So with that investor capital, I, we, I think I, we did have a little bit of talk on, on Twitter as well about this. But it was a uh, so what kind of expectations, not not return wise, but like time frame wise? I know that you were talking about that the plan is to not sell. So what does that look like to an investor that is buying? I mean, even seven years, 10 years, like what, what would they expect and how did, how do they partner into that? I know it's like a silent investor, but like, as in. Yeah. Yeah. So like, the way I structured the deal was that this whole thing's going to be or valued at 1.25 revenue. So the firm is going to be worth, you know, we started at 2 million and that's revenue times 1.25. So that's where we start. And as we grow that, okay, it's easy to calculate how much your investment has appreciate it in value. Initially, I had put after two years of being an investor, I can start to buy you out. But some of them have now said, you know, I might want to do this longer. Is five years an option? Sure. Um, no. Let's figure out what makes sense to everyone. And also, part of the structure is I guarantee 10% returns um, through dividends. And that scales all the way up to our net profit, which can be 40, 50% once we get things uh, settled. So the return is, you know, they get 10% guaranteed. That amount can scale up double, triple, right? And then they can also get the value appreciation and I can buy them out at some point in time. So in that, um, and I talk for myself personally, is how is that buyout determined as in? So we say, you know, we'll just say the person's looking for a three to seven year hold. Mm -hmm. You're in year four. What kind of, um, how do they, for one, get the valuation, but then also how does the buyout actually occur? Like the, 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 how does, how does the valuation happen and, and really how do they get their money? Sure. So say we have a $2 million firm they're investing into. After three years, we're doing 4 million in revenue. So we take 4 million times 1.25. That's the value. So your thing's doubled in, you know, appreciation. And then I would pay. So you're out. saying real quick, four million would be, we'll just say, uh, four million would be worth five million dollars. The firm, yes. Which and I'm that's yeah. gross revenue. Yes. Wow. And you've recently purchased uh, one for two million. Is that what you're saying? Well, between the current firm I have right now and the two additions, that yeah. that's going to get to two million. Two million times. 1.25, I should know that off the top of my head. Um, whatever so that you're saying, is. Is, it the, is it the goal revenue or is it the actual current revenue? So we're valuing, we are going to evaluate it based on the combined revenue of when I put this all together. Yeah. And then at a later point in time. Ah, it's a real okay. measurement. So that's the goal is the 2 million. And then obviously, do banks actually, can you borrow against your company when it's like that? Say it's a $2 million company or $2 million revenue company. Are you able to go to the mm -hmm. bank to go out and buy other, uh, like say another SBA loan against your own yeah. uh, company? Yeah. The first one's the riskiest because I was yeah. untested. They they very much prefer when you're already a firm owner that you're, you know, you just completed a recent acquisition's good. You know what you're doing. You're serious. 
Um, I look at the, the terms and a lot of them say, you know, if you already have a firm, we'll finance up to 100% of this thing because this, wow. is, this, is, this is your business model. So that's even more attractive. Yeah, we've, we we kind of had the same scenario. And that's kind of like with the, I don't know if that would be the CFO role, but we had uh, from having, we had the property management company as uh, one of the revenues of of owning real estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first year they don't, you know, they can give you small lines of credit. And then after the uh, first, the second year of tax returns, then they can, they become yep. a little bit more friendlier with you to be able to lend more. We kind of just, we're past the, I think we're about a year and a half in with the property management. And uh, it sounds like they're a bit, it's like once you get past those two years tax returns, they become a little bit easier to work with the banks. Yeah. And two, on this first deal, they have uh, guarantees on everything. So my my personal net worth is greater than the value of the business. Mm-hmm. And um, so they really like that. So equity and my net worth and everything is tied into this. They see I'm invested. And then yeah. um, being able to get other investors shows that you know I'm serious. It makes sense to other people. And we're not doing the minimum injection. I want to do 20% or something. It makes them more comfortable too. Yep. So then at that point, they will do, they'll do 80%, the bank will do 80% of the revenue. So, so, so say I buy a firm for a million. The way I'm going to structure it is I I would want 200,000 as a seller, seller note. That's going to be adjustable. Mm-hmm. And then 200, one to $200,000 of investor capital. And the rest would be SBA. So in that, let's just say it's two and two. So 600000 would be SBA. Oh, okay. So then obviously the bank's going to be a little bit more comfortable with that. Because generally when mm-hmm. you buy a company, there's, I think the right wording would be rescission, where they you lose a, a little bit of the customers because they're just, they're, they're loyal to the person, right? If it's certain companies. And two, that, that, let me share something. So when I bought this firm, I didn't know what to expect. The banks were putting like a 10% haircut. 10% of my customers will leave. And previously, before we did the handoff, the uh, the previous owner was a bit burned out, a bit exhausted. It was turning. It was kind of annoying customers. They're getting frustrated with them. So even though that was a state I took it in, and we had this transition, and I was unknown, I lost, I would say, 1% or 2% of customers, which is incredible. Yeah, And it goes great. to show how sticky accounting firms are. Yeah. Um, and talking to a lot of firms, Many aren't taking new clients. Um, so yeah. if you want to leave, where are you going to go? And two, to change accountants, it's a real pain. Yes. Yes, that's 100% true. <laughs> we have, I have experience. Um, so that is, so learning that and seeing that, even the, what I just experienced, I can do a much better job on the second transition than the first. I've learned everything I need to know. And the second one, the rest, it's going to be cake, hopefully, after this. I took my lumps. Yeah, that's great. So how do you, where do you go? Do you find these from business brokers or where do you find the uh, accounting firms? Sure. So the firm I have now I actually found on Biz Buy Sell. You know, they, they list mm. all businesses. Yes. And then there's actually a few accounting specific um, listing sites and brokerages. So I've gotten to know those um, those sites and the brokers and have, you know, get them to know who I am, what I'm looking to do. And, you know, it's just submitting inquiries and getting leads, um, checking things out, kicking tires. I must have looked at um, at least 12 to 
at least 12 to 15 firms here in the last month. And you get to, yeah, you get to take a look at them, see which ones are the right fit. Um, I don't have to force anything too, which is beautiful. And then, you know, looks like the things, the pieces come together when you're ready. And then really with the accounting, the crazy part, it's like, I've never really thought too hard about it. I mean, I have a little bit, but what I would say, the thing about accounting is that you have, uh, if we're talking, let's say like a recession and you think the thing that happens during recessions is that people get behind on their taxes and Mm -hmm. then the accounting firms become more important (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you need somebody to help you to get navigate through the through the taxes, you know, and yeah. I've seen there's a lot of penalties, obviously fees and stuff that go with it. And I have um, my first account that I've ever used. He, his specialty was uh, tax. I don't know if it's what it's called, but like where some somebody that owes like $50,000 in taxes is mm-hmm. going to reach out to him and he's going to assist him through that. And I think that's where the recession well, quote unquote, recession proof uh, business uh, comes in and uh, for the downside. So obviously when times are good, people are able to pay for accountants to do what they need to do. So, yeah. And two, yeah. So good times are bad. Accounting's in demand. And there's a few yeah. other things that are going for this business. Um, there's a, there's a big shortage of new accountants, especially CPAs. Yes. So those are the people who would theoretically buy these firms. Those people aren't there. Um, and part of the opportunity that we see is to take some of these accounting CPA firms, just make it an accounting firm. Yeah, we have CPAs that do CPA stuff, but I'm taking away a lot of the red tape and bureaucracy that helps nobody. So we're uh, we're an accounting firm. We're not a CPA firm. Yeah, we have CPAs, but you know, like getting people familiar with that and to know there's other types of accounting experts aren't just CPAs and what they can do for your business. That's a differentiator for us. And then, uh, how do you deal with say you buy a company and I would have to it, it would have to happen but there has to be people that that are employed by the company and they decide to leave how do you for one retain and also <clears throat> uh, with the shortages and everything that you're talking about how do you fill those positions if somebody were to leave yeah so in accounting it's very interesting especially public accounting the industry the industry is notorious we're working long hours, um, low pay, a lot of stress. So it's a field that typically it's hard to get people and keep the ones you have and develop them over the long term. And when I looked at this, and part of my thesis is, well, that's a very fixable problem. These businesses do good work in the community, make good money. Why don't we treat the people better and pay them better and incentivize that? Give them a piece of the action. And boy, I bet that's going to work. So we're setting up our organization in a way where we address these challenges head on. So every two years, we're doing a four-week paid sabbatical. We're going to share up to 30% of the profits of the company. Everyone gets at least three weeks paid vacation, 10% annual bonus. It's like, there's, like, if I come in and you worked for someone else before, you just got a free upgrade. Yeah. Why, why would you leave? Yeah. And the same, we say the same thing. Like, it's going to be the same thing when we acquire another business. You just got a free first-class upgrade. You now have more experts. Uh, available to help you with your issues and everything and you know you get the rest of our team for free <laughs> you, it's so it's a win-win for everybody yeah and from my experience i mean this is not exactly the same uh 
workforce, but we, we, when we buy like mobile home parks, they come with park managers and the park managers are always afraid that we're going to let them go. But I'm like, look, we're, we're going to make this place better, but you have, we need somebody to oversee everything that's going on. There's so much going on when we buy these parks that we need boots on the ground and it's not going to be, I mean, I'll be there once a week, once every other week, you know, uh, ideally it can turn into once a quarter and we need somebody available to oversee these mobile home parks. And, and it's always, you know, it's, I, I'm not saying this is for all uh, previous owners, but it's like you want to give them pay raises and everything that goes with it because you're bringing the value up. And it's yep. something that's, um, you know, for the amount, you know, it's worth, it's worth it. You know, what it comes down to is having good people to work for you. It's like, have, have do I want to be, yeah. yeah, do I want to be doing their job? No, I don't want to do their job. I want them to do a good job. And I don't want to have to come here every week. If I don't, if they're doing a good job, I have to come here once a month or a quarter, you know, but if, if it turns into where I'm like having to make sure they're working, you know, then it turns into a whole nother story. So it's, I can relate to that. And I think, I think about it. I'm like, man. I'm like giving them an opportunity to really like they were making this and now I'm literally probably a lot of times we'll like almost double their pay maybe in different types of benefits. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's always like we and we're we're make you know, the, you know, certain times like their actual job roles was so spread thin. You just ha- and then with the efficiencies, you're like, look, this is the only thing you're going to have to do. Yeah. You don't have to do all these extra things that you were doing before. All you have to do is this one thing. And that's that's the great thing about making a business better, you know, making, you know, really you're creating better workplace for, uh, I guess, the employees along with, uh, you know, a more manageable uh, amount of work as well, because you're creating efficiencies is what you're doing. Yeah. And the last thing you want is like someone to leave of like a dollar an hour and like you find out they're just not there anymore. You got a backfill this causes all these headaches. It's not worth it. It's really not worth it. And like you said, all the pieces there all make sense. It's like, if I can pay more and sleep at night, boy, I'm going to do that. Yep. And and at the same time, it's the people that do end up leaving. Um, it's kind of they made that choice themselves a lot of times. You know, it's like, look, we're willing to do this and we're, you know, we want it to be better. You know, it's just yeah. that there's going to be a lot of change. Kind of like the bookkeeper. You know, if you have the... <laughs> The bookkeeping, I know there's always a better way of doing it, but it's like, do you want to struggle through the change to get there? You know, so. Yeah. And, and two, getting people to care. Like, there's a lot of things you can't really see, but sometimes you get a glimpse of them. Like, oh, man, they care. And I just saw what they did. And our customer is going to appreciate us forever because of that. They didn't have to do that. But they, exactly. they care. They want to be there. And it just makes the whole organization work better. So, uh are there any things that I haven't asked or any questions, anything you you have would like to go over? Or? Well, I I think I, I'm getting deeper and deeper into this world of accounting firms and just understanding how many are for sale, why they're for sale and what the opportunities are, what this looks like if like no one buys them. It's really fascinating to me. So trying to think of how that's going to shape out you know, for the accounting professional, for the rest of the public and what the fallout's going to be. It's fascinating to me. So I'm looking to share a lot more information and insight and analysis with people to kind of bring this into light. Like I get to see behind this, 
the curtains on a lot of these deals and see their financials and this and that. I'm not going to share anything confidential, but there's some clear trends I think are worth talking about. And if I can get other younger professionals like myself able to see these opportunities and not have to do the corporate world they hate, and they can transfer their skills and ability to these firms and help, you know, it's, it's a fantastic operation and opportunity for everyone. So that, that if I could help a few people do that, you know, with Twitter or LinkedIn, I think that'd be amazing. Yeah. And me personally, I, I think it's always good to have just to see different avenues for one income wise, because, you know, the real estate, I feel like this would be, I believe in alternative investments and, mm -hmm. you know, putting your money into real estate is great, but uh, it turns into where you can diversify yourself through a business that I, I believe has a lot of, uh, I mean, it's like, a, it's like almost, I kind of look at them as like toll road, like utility businesses, toll road businesses type companies that are literally a necessity to, to operate for a lot of businesses. There's no like... Oh. Like there's no way that I'm going to figure out a way to be a bookkeeper accountant for my company. Like it would be a disservice to everybody involved with my company. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where as long as you're offering a great service, it will uh, show in it in uh, in revenue. And I I'm excited to learn more about it. I know we'll probably talk for a little bit after the call about just my own operation, just to see what Ben's thoughts are. For all of Ben's contact information, it will be listed in the description below. And I, I follow Ben regularly on Twitter. We'll add all of his other uh, contact information and ways to reach out to him if you have any more questions that I haven't answered. And thanks for coming on, Ben, and we'll talk more. All right. This is uh, fantastic. Thank you, Glenn. All right. Thanks for listening and uh, make sure you rate, subscribe, like, and comment below. Thank you.